0: This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. U.S. Supreme Court decisions are not always self enforcing. 200 years ago, when Chief Justice John Marshall issued a decision, President Andrew Jackson didn't like what he had heard. He says, Well, Marshall's made his decision, I'll let him enforce it. And something like that's now happening with the Janus case decided by the Supreme Court last summer. In that decision, the Supreme Court decided that government employees could not be required to contribute to the cost of collective bargaining if uh, people didn't want to make that contribution, even though they were affected by the collective bargaining, bargaining agreement. So at the time that decision was handed down, pundits on all sides of the political aisle agreed on one thing, that teacher unions and other public sector unions had suffered a terrible blow. Uh, teachers and uh, other public sector employees no longer had to pay dues, and it was expected that about a third would stop doing so. That had happened in Wisconsin when a similar policy was introduced and people thought it would now ricochet across the country. But things may not have worked out that way, says Daniel DeSalvo in a recently released report. Daniel DeSalvo is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a professor of political science at the City College of New York. Thank you, Daniel, for joining me today on the Education Exchange. My pleasure. Well, Daniel, you report that the number of public sector employees has hardly changed since the Janus decision was handed down. What exactly did you find?
1: Well, I found very simply that the number of uh, state and local government workers who belong to unions not decline um a lot it declined by about 54,000 which is less than 1%. So a, a very small decline at least in the uh 6 months or 7 months since the uh Supreme Court's very important case and most important country
0: and most controversial decision of its last term in in June 2018. Well, it can take a while for a court decision uh to have its impact. Do you expect a bigger decline this coming year will they will they will you be able to check this again this at the end of this year
1: Yes, yeah, we'll be able to check and, and follow it with you know the data we have is far from perfect in this area as in so many others but um, the bureau of labor statistics does a regular update of its uh, current population survey and, and that was the basic data i used uh, here does other to get at this. Um, they're more cumbersome and more difficult and are fraught with their own problems, um, but we could talk about those. But I think, you know, I certainly will be interested to see, and I think many others will be, if there's uh, more substantial declines um, over the course of this year. Um, my own, I guess, uh, predict, trying to predict the future on which political scientists don't have a great Um, meaning it's not going to be something that happens right away as people on the right hoped and people on the left feared when this decision was handed down. Uh, You know, so if we see some declines, it's going to be over a a much longer window over a number of years.
0: But I did, I think you also reported that the revenue loss to unions uh, is a little larger than these numbers would suggest. Am I missing something there?
1: The revenue loss is large here because it's two features here. One is that the decision, its immediate effect, which was a blow to public sector unions, was to eliminate the agency fees. So any non-members, the union had to immediately cease and desist collecting uh, the agency fee monies from them. And in some cases, uh, the agency fee was set at, you know, 99 percent or 100 percent of dues. So any non-members that were represented by unions and under The unions immediately lost those revenues. Now, we could go into trying to estimate how much revenue was lost there. It really depends on the particular union, how many um, agency fee payers they had. So uh, you're in California, take the California Teachers Association, a a big and powerful public sector union. It only had less than um, 10 percent of of those that it represented were non-members. it lost probably less than 10% of uh, its incoming revenue, probably on the order of 3 to 4% loss, if you're thinking about just the CTA as an example. Other, other unions could have suffered uh, bigger financial losses, and uh, say the national NEA, uh, continuing with that example, did adjust their budget for
0: that reason. So I, so there is going to be a big uh, effect on teacher uh, union finances, uh, though it may have a smaller effect on membership. Well, maybe they'll try harder to recruit members. Maybe when people had to pay the agency fee, anyhow, unions didn't really care whether they were members, and now they're going to care a lot. Well, that's certainly uh, the, the two things that I think just before getting to your
1: is right. the two things are related, because clearly going forward now, any membership losses are also revenue losses, whereas before, if people didn't, in California or New York or any of these states, the 22 states affected by the Janus decision, the uh, consequences of being a non member were, as from the union's financial point of view, were, you know, approaching zero, uh, because the person still had to pay almost the equivalent amount. I think you're right, the unions have been, you know, they they were aware in some ways that the constitutionality of agency fees was on shaky ground for, you know, three or four years now, and they've been on an active campaign to really reconnect leadership with its membership, um, and figure out what its members really want, whereas before they could sort of rest on their laurels, everyone's got to pay us anyway, Uh, we can go about doing what we think is best. And um, So there's really been a lot of organizing on the labor side to reconnect people with membership. And then the last thing on this point that's really important is since, even before the Janus decision, but certainly since, is a movement of many of these states Pass laws that are going to facilitate union organizing to help them retain their current members and then get access to and persuade new hires uh, to join them. That is to sort of replenish their ranks in the future.
0: Now, as in these 22 states. Now, you sort of said there's 22 states that have are, are affected by Janus. Now, could you just unpack that a little bit for our listeners?
1: Sure. Um, so. In, Actually, actually it turns out to be 23 states were impacted. Missouri is a little bit of an outlier here. We can go into the specifics of Missouri, um, which ultimately is impacted uh, by the case. Um, At the time of the decision, it wasn't clear it would be. So the 22 states, and here we're thinking a lot about uh, the big coastal states and many of the industrial Midwestern states, so New York, California, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts.
0: Can we call them the blue states? We can call
1: them for shorthand the blue states, and those states, basically what their laws allowed was either they allowed or they required what are called unions to negotiate uh, what are called union security clauses into their contracts. The union security clause just means that anyone who doesn't become a member, because the union is required unit equally, or represent all of them, called exclusive representation, they, therefore the union says everyone should then pay into the union. And so in all these 22 states, that was the case, whereas in all the other, say, 27 or 28 states... They are right to work states, and those usually those right to work laws apply to both public and private sector uh, unions. And they basically prohibit the charging of an agency fee, which means if you don't want to be a union member, you can't still be compelled to pay into union coffers. Well, so you the- know
0: the unions have a lot of power in these states where they did have this uh, this right to uh, agency fees in the past. So what have they been doing in state legislatures to do everything they can to keep their members I, I, I know you made some points along these lines in your report what exactly are these new laws that they that are being enacted
1: well first some of them are um, about communications and access and that means about organizing so some of the new laws say, in California and New York state that uh, government employers must share all contact information of current employees and new hires with the unions. They also require that in some cases new hires meet with uh, union representatives for up to an hour on work time, which clearly gives the union uh, a key opportunity to persuade the person, uh, the new employee, to sign the union card to become a union member. At the same time, some of these laws and or some executive orders, as in here in New York, uh, prohibit uh, outside groups from gaining access to public employee contact information such that they could contact them and inform them of their rights. And then lastly, in some cases in New Jersey and, and elsewhere, some of these new laws basically make it impossible for the public employer to ever try to discourage union uh, membership, which might imply they can't even tell public employees how they could get out of a union if they wanted to.
0: Well, do do we need a Miranda rights law here? Do do members, uh, uh, teachers, and other uh, government employees need to have uh, the uh, some some communication be given to them that says, "Look, at you can join a union if you want, but but you don't have to."
1: I I think that would be sensible it's unclear whether this was, would that would even be legal under the current New Jersey law. Um, but some kind of rights of explaining how these processes work. I can speak as a public university professor who went through a hiring process here, where things are unionized, and um, how the whole thing works. I would submit many of my I had no idea when I was hired, you know, a long time ago, and I'd submit many of my colleagues probably still don't.
0: Um, so now I did talk to a government employee who told me that when he didn't join the union after the Janus decision, some burly union members came to uh, his home in the evening and asked to sit down and talk with him about it, and, and that struck me as bullying, uh, and that was repeated. So, is is there evidence out there? There's some bullying going on.
1: Aside from anecdotally, like the story you told, um, and people at at work, I I think there's, I've heard many stories along the lines that you suggest, and certainly some of these new laws that facilitate, uh, you know, the contacting of people who aren't union members or who maybe recently revoked their membership, um, it certainly opens the door to that kind of behavior.
0: Well, now, the, the teachers' union has gone on strike in Los Angeles and Denver most recently, and before that, West Virginia, Oklahoma, and many other places across the country, which is really unusual. We had a, a period of sort of labor peace in education uh, for quite some time after the initial strikes back in the 60s and 70s. So do you think that this decision and this new union militancy are connected in some way?
1: I, You know, people have speculated that in my own view, they're perhaps connected, um, but many of the, say, strikes initially were a wave of strikes in red states, which were already right-to-work states, to which the Janus didn't ap- apply. And in the Los Angeles case, many people have, uh, some people have argued that this was a real way to boost its membership, was to call this strike, and that would be a um, whole mechanism for organizing and union activity and the creation of solidarity. And some argued that that was the strategy of uh, the L.A. teachers' unions. Um, in the L.A. case, I think, and I guess my own interpretation, is, these things have less to do with Janus and more to do with the squeeze many school districts are feeling over the rising cost of um, basically retiree health care and pension costs, which means districts are spending more on education, but it's not filtering down to teachers and to the classrooms, and that's provoking some higher.
0: So finally, what do you see as the long-run impact of the Janus decision? Uh, can can you uh, project out uh, where you think this is going over the next decade? Or Well, I think
1: there's two possible futures. One is a uh, Maybe a modest to small attr- attrition as some more uh, e- current union members or uh, new hires realize that they can receive whatever benefits the union is providing in collective bargaining without paying any of the costs that they decide to opt out, which would chip away at union membership and perhaps get it below thirty three percent across all states nationwide or perhaps below thirty percent, which would be the first time since 1982 or so that that had happened. On the other hand, that process is likely to be slow. Some of these laws we were talking about, which create these one-sided communications environments, and some which have taken advantage of a part of the decision that allows the union to only offer things to members, whether that's legal representation in grievance cases or benefits like life insurance, those might incentivize some more people who are otherwise not ideologically committed to the union. Uh, to join or remain in it. Uh, And then finally, we've got some important legal cases coming up questioning the whole idea of exclusive representation, and one is being petitioned to the Supreme Court uh, now, and how that legal battle plays out could also have an impact on this whole shape of public sector labor relations, because we're the plaintiffs' To prevail, that would basically allow individual employees to negotiate with management over there. Yeah, but that's that's benefit. quite
0: a stretch. We've had collective bargaining since the uh, 1930s. Isn't that really trying to overturn a pretty well-established tradition and in set of institutions? It is a it is a stretch. Um, but
1: we'll see. There's at least three or four cases that I know of pending in, in different levels in the federal courts.
0: And, and and the other thing that's out there, of course, is the revenue loss. That that's that's for real. And that's that, isn't that going to have an effect on the capacity of the unions to play a major role in uh, in state and local elections uh, where they they've been a force in the past? I think that
1: they've definitely taken a hit and had a had a setback. How big a uh, setback that's going to be, I think, remains unclear at this point for two reasons at least. The first is much of union political activity and contributions is often the kind of in-kind contributions, boots on the ground, door knockers, that sort of thing that are very hard to measure. And the second thing is unions can, and in some cases we've already seen this happening, uh, increase the amount of uh, extra monies available for politics, asking all employees 5 or $10 a month to a separate political fund, and so there's maybe some room to increase the political dues collected from a slightly smaller membership that would at least maintain the unions at their sort of current level of political spending.
0: Well, thank you very much, uh, Daniel, for this illuminating report and uh, insight into what's really happening in the wake of the Janus decision. I have been speaking with Daniel DeSalvo. he's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a professor of political science at the City College of New York, and he's just released a new report through the Manhattan Institute on the ways in which public sector unions are seeking to maintain their membership in the wake of the Janus decision. Thank you, Daniel, for joining me on the Education Exchange. My pleasure. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.